Morning, everybody. All right, so Acts chapter 13. You'll remember that we are following along on Paul's first missionary journey. And it all started back in verse 1 of chapter 13, where it says that while this group uh, who were at Antioch, uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they prayed for them and laid their hands on them and sent them away. And they went to Cyprus, which was uh, Barnabas' home territory. And it said they went as far as Paphos, and that's when... Uh, they met the uh, Jewish magician and so forth. We saw that last week. And that gets us to verse 13, where we'll pick up today. So Paphos, which uh, is on Cyprus, and Cyprus, of course, is an island uh, there in the um, Mediterranean. Verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. So Perga is, they've made it now... Uh, they went north, basically, to the mainland, uh, kind of the Asia Minor, Turkey area. And um, Perga was uh, the, the, the port there. So as they came to Perga, and it says, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now this is uh, Mark, John Mark, who had been with them. And it says, John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga came to Antioch in Pisidia. And most of our lesson today is going to be in Antioch in Pisidia. Now, there were a number of Antiochs. The main Antioch that we have been talking about, of course, is the one that's on the, um, on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, and that's ge generally called Antioch. Um, but uh, this is Antioch in Pisidia to distinguish it, and it is uh, up in the hills uh, from the coast there, um, and we'll get there in a moment, but we need to talk just briefly about this one sentence that says, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, we know from elsewhere in Paul's writing that uh, uh, Paul wasn't really happy about this, and he, um, uh, he uh, looked on it as a fault uh, of John Mark, uh, and people have speculated, well, why did Mark leave? And I'll, in some of the supplementary material, I'll, I'll post um, a lot of different theories. Uh, was he unhappy? Did he, you know, get homesick? Did he go back to his mama, who was in the upper uh, leadership of uh, the church in Jerusalem, as we've seen, and so forth? Um, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, there was a parting of the ways. Now, we know that down the road, uh, Mark became... Uh, very valuable. He, you know, got his name in the Bible of more than a few times. Um, he wrote the book of Mark. Um, he kind of turned out okay, uh, but he just kind of had a rough start there. And um, uh, eventually, even Paul said, you know, um, in his in his latter days, um, you know, bring Mark with you. Uh, he's he's very useful to me. And and we know that um, that Mark did. Okay, but there was a parting of the ways there, and um, I think that's a, a message to all of us that um, maybe need uh, 
a do-over sometimes, and um, maybe lots of times. Uh, so Mark did okay. So verse 14, it says, They went on from Perga, that's the port there, and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So you have a missionary entourage. Uh, we don't really know exactly how many people were, were with Paul and Barnabas, but um, certainly, you know, it sounds like at least a few people were traveling with them. And, you know, here you have this synagogue, which is now in, um, you know, this is not Jewish territory. This is in the middle of Turkey. It's kind of a, Antioch and Pisidia was a bit of a crossroads there, kind of up in the mountains a bit, and um, uh, would have very much had kind of a Greek and Roman flavor to that area. Probably would have been somewhat familiar territory to Paul, who grew up in Tarsus, not uh, too far away, maybe 100 miles or so away. So uh, he probably had a feel for the vibe. So this was a group of Jewish believers in the synagogue there, and we'll also find that there were some um, some Gentiles there. Uh, they're called God-fearers. Uh, this is people who believed in uh, the God of the Old Testament and um, feared God, but they weren't full proselytes uh, of Judaism. So um, they were there. So it says on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue, sat down. So here you have this entourage, and I don't know how big a group this would have been, but it may not have been much larger, or if even as large as the number of people we have here. So if we had all of a sudden a table occupied with some people that were missionaries, it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal to say, do you guys want to you guys want to say something? You all have something to share? Um, and that would have been a very natural thing to do. Well, you know, Paul being sent out, you know, this is why he was here. Um, this is the open door that he's been waiting for, and of course he's going to walk through it. So, verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and I don't know what the motion was. I don't know if it was, you know, hi. Uh, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, come and listen. I don't know what the, what the motion was, but that, we can speculate on that. But he's ready, and, and here we go. Men of Israel, and you who fear God. So two, dif two different groups there. The people of Israel and the God-fearers, who would have been the Gentiles that I was referring to before. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. Now, here we go back with the history lesson. Now, we saw this not too long ago, right? Who started off a sermon with the history lesson? Steve. Stephen, right? Um, and this was, it's just got to make sense, right? You're going to, um, you kind of get a feel for how things were going to go. Um, if you've been in church most of your life, or at least have gone more than a few dozen times, you kind of know how the flow of the service is going to go, right? 
Now, if you switch denominations, it might be a little different. And the further away from your own, you know, kind, so to speak, the more different it might be. But I guarantee if you went anywhere within 300 miles to a Southern Baptist church, you'd kind of know how things were going, right? Pastor's going to get up, he's going to welcome everybody, and say, how y'all doing? Here's what we're talking about. We're going to pray. We're going to look at the scriptures. There's going to be an opening joke of some sort. <laughs> Typically, right? Um, and we're going to launch in, maybe a personal story. You know how this is going to go. Well, Paul is following what would have been the standard protocol for the day, and he's going to take them back, and he's going to get a running start to where he's heading. And that's why he starts back in Egypt. During their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Verse 18, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Now, this is kind of interesting. Apparently, and again, it's going to be in my notes. I didn't count it, but I think it's about 13 characters in this Greek word that means put up with them. You take one letter away, and it means he cared for them. Well, apparently, a lot of the early scribes, as they were like making the copies and everything, had a little bit of a hard time with this concept of God putting up with somebody. That sounded kind of a negative thing to connect to God. So some of them translated, he, he cared for them, because that just sounds so much more God-ish, right? Um, God-like? That's probably better, God-like. Um, but if you look at most of your, most of your translations, um, it's going to say he put up with them. New American Standard says he put up with them. NIV says he endured their conduct. Okay, so we kind of get the idea that God, you know, if it's 40 years and, you know, put up with is probably true. Probably true. So anyway, for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. I should mention that this, also, this put up with comment also kind of sets the stage because there's kind of two parts to this whole thing where Paul is going. On the one hand, he's talking about Israel kind of being the chosen people and he's going to be heading into God keeping his promises to them and how you know the Savior came out of Israel and blessed the whole world and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, we're going to get these glimpses that it hasn't all been great with the nation of Israel. And there's been some negative things going on. And, of course, we know ultimately it was the Jews themselves that put Jesus to death in the first place, right? So, um, so we're going to get hints of this as he's telling the whole story. He's not pulling any punches. And he's going to kind of hint is at this uh, negativity a little bit. So verse 20, it says, All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, we get our second little negative comment that, yeah, they asked for a king, they got one, and it wasn't all wonderful 
When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. And we're going to talk about David a good bit in a minute. I should also mention that Paul may have put in this phrase as kind of a little bit of a um, uh, mark of his own humility. Uh, here he is standing up, speaking, he's making a big pronouncement, and they probably knew from his speech that he was a learned man. Word may have gotten out that he had, gosh, this guy learned at the feet of Gamaliel. He's smart you know he was a persecutor now he's been saved and maybe there would have had the tendency to elevate him a little bit but he's maybe hinting at the fact that you know I was named Saul too and I was of the tribe of Benjamin too and it didn't you know it wasn't so great for the first Saul and while I was Saul it wasn't so great either so it might have been a little bit of a of a mark of humility that he included that comment. Verse 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, Jod had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So, we have the basic history started off in Egypt. They were saved from Egypt. He takes them through the judges. He takes them to the first couple of kings. He highlights that out of David, um, there is going to be a savior who was promised and then brings it to near the present day, John the Baptist, you know, making the point that a Messiah that is this great, it makes perfect sense that there would be a precursor. There would be someone who prepared the way. And in fact, that's what John the Baptist did. All right. Verse 26. We're going we're gonna to get into uh, the text a little bit more um, with Paul. It says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Here again. I'm talking to all of you. I'm talking to the Jews. I'm talking to the Gentiles. Talking to all of you. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Now, that really those like what said us maybe one compound sentence that packs a lot of what happened into just one big verse right those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers so who's he talking about he's talking about the religious elite the, the established church of the day they didn't recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath so saying these people who were entrusted the word, who knew of a coming Messiah, but they didn't recognize him, and ultimately it was talked, 
you know, it was prophesied that, you know, he was going to be beaten. He's going to be persecuted. They fulfilled the scriptures by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. So, we have this big scope of history. And then he says, all that was leading us to do you guys know what has happened lately? Now we know this is lately in this time means what? 15 to 20 years after Jesus, right? But it's like, you know, the word is, is, is spreading. Um, here's the good news. This was fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm so paul's going to start bringing in his own references to scripture right he's given the sermon in fact this is the first recorded sermon of paul and another unique thing this is i found where it says verse in verse 30 as it is also written in the second psalm you are my son today i have begotten you it's the only time in the new testament where an exact reference is quoted to the old testament you know, a lot of times they quote and they don't really say where it comes from. They just kind of assume. But here it makes a point. This is in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The point there, it's not, it says you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is not talking about um, like the birth of Jesus or anything like that. This is talking about um, the resurrection and the establishment of uh Jesus as um, you know the Savior the Redeemer um, the the exaltation of Jesus Paul elaborates verse 34 and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption he has spoken in this way I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David therefore he says also in another psalm you will not let your holy one see corruption We've seen this argument before. It basically was um, in the psalm that says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. That was a psalm of David. Everyone knew that this was said by David, and, and the, the, the short reference might have been to assume it was referring to David, but we know that David died and was buried. So he's saying, well, we know it didn't refer to David because David died. David did see corruption. But we know that we've got Jesus who was resurrected who did not see corruption. We know this is who he's talking about. So we just had a hurricane. Those of you that were here in 1989, if I said, hey, tell me about Hugo conjures up all sorts of things with that one word. Those of you that were here. You experienced it. You saw the aftermath. You dealt with the, 
you know, the being without power for a week or so, or whatever. One word. That's our capacity to have one word trigger a whole bunch of stuff. That's what Paul was counting on in verse 34 when it says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. I, that didn't ring a lot of bells with me when I read it. I had had to be reminded. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. We spent a little while in Isaiah, as you will recall. If you turn to Isaiah 55 and look at verse 3, says, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. That one little phrase, my sure love for David, is what this is referring to, the holy and the sure blessings of David. So when Paul references my sure love for David, my sure blessings for David, and he takes them all the way back to Isaiah 55. What was Isaiah 55 talking about? Look at the first part. We recognize these verses. Come everyone who thirsts, comes to the water. He who has no money, come buy and eat, etc. Verse 2, why do you spend money for bread that doesn't satisfy and so forth? All of this in verse 55 was happening because of what started in chapter 53. We talked about a servant. We talked about a servant that was going to come. 53 verse 2. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Remember those verses? We recognize those. That's the servant. And then in verse 54, we find out all of the things that were going to happen when the servant came back. Verse 13, all of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children, and righteousness you shall be established, and so forth. So when Paul says about the Messiah, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, he's taking them all the way back to this day. And I, I learned something interesting when I studied this time. Apparently, the Jews thought of two things. They thought of the age that they were in now, and then there was something that they called the age to come. And it wasn't necessarily an after-death sort of thing. It was the age when everything was going to be right, when Messiah was coming when all of the promises in Isaiah would be ultimately fulfilled. They wanted to be in the age to come. So when he's talking to this group 
who knew their Bible, and he says, the fact he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, and was spoken of, I will give you the holy and true blessings of David. He's saying, if you want to be in the age to come, it's going to be through Jesus. This was a new, this was the good news. This was the gospel. This was him speaking their language. He was mostly talking to the Jews there. And he's saying, the way to get to this age to come isn't through the law. It's not through the ritual. It's through Jesus. And he's putting it all together for him. And you could just kind of see, like starting to put it together. This is really weird. I, I've never looked at it this way before. Verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That is the central point of the whole thing, right? That is him bringing it home right at the end, just as I am, is about ready to be played. This is everything he wants them to hear. This is why he took them back to Egypt and the Passover lamb and God rescuing them. This is why he said the king and Saul and all that didn't fix anything. This is why he said there was something else to come and he's bringing it down. He said, let it be known to you that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You don't think that after going through all the ritual and everything that they've been living, you know, and they were, they were in a synagogue. They were hundreds of miles from the temple. They might would have made it to Jerusalem for the Passover once or twice in their life. You know, do you think when the priest made the yearly atonement, do you think they really felt forgiven? Probably not. You don't think they had some guilt about things that they had done? You don't think they felt the weight of their own sin? I'm sure they did. And here they're saying, you can be freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. They knew, you have no doubt that they knew that the law of Moses wasn't, it wasn't enough. Verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perished, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So he's laid it out for them, but he's already referred to the Jews that had possession of the text, knew the promises, and not only didn't recognize Jesus, but put him to death. And he's basically saying, don't you guys make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake. Beware, 
Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And he's saying, don't be those people. Don't be the scoffers. Don't be the people that don't believe. In verse 42 it says, And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear more. They wanted to hear more. They're, I mean, think about all the things that... I mean, he just, he just left it right there. He said, Everything Moses couldn't do for you, and we'll remember Moses was kind of a big deal to the Jews. That was kind of a, that was kind of a big deal. He said, Moses wasn't good enough. David wasn't good enough and he's basically said I'm showing you a better king I'm showing you a better David I'm showing you a better Moses everything that has fallen short is available for you through Jesus and he says don't ignore what I'm saying don't scoff at what I'm saying and then I'm assuming he sat back down and you know, I guess the presiding officer probably got up, said a prayer, and you could just hear everybody talking after it's over. Oh my gosh, what you just hear what he said? What does that mean? Is it is it true? You know, I, who knows what they were saying? But it says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them next Sabbath. They, they wanted to hear more. They were starting to to hear what he was saying. They, they wanted to hear more. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to, Jerusalem, to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. There may have been some that, that may be believed, and, and, and they said, you know, continue. It may be some that they could tell that their hearts were so open and that they were moving in that direction and and Paul said you know you got it continue keep keep you know pray through what I've said you know continue in the grace of God he they were heading in the right direction he wanted to encourage them to do that so I think maybe that's a decent stopping point we're going to pick up uh, there next week um because as we've seen, there's this back and forth through Paul's journeys. There's good news, there's some results, and then of course there's some opposition. Some good news and then some opposition. So, um, things to remember. Um, as we saw in John Mark, God is the ultimate provider of second chances, and third chances, and tenth chances, right? God keeps his promises. If he kept them to the wayward Jews that he had to put up with, not just in the wilderness, 40 years was nothing compared to other times when he had to put up with them. And he puts up with us, and he'll keep his promises to us. And all of history took us to Jesus. And he is our way out from all the things all the substitutes that we look for. Had a patient this last week was so distraught about something she said she went to a psychic. I felt so sorry for this gal. 
you know. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really have an opening to, to, to do much um, scripturally, but I said, you know, you need to really look for things that are true, things that you can hold on to, things that are real. I said, you don't need to be talking to a psychic. You know, so we've got our scripture. Let's hold on to it. It's true. Any comments? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can be grafted into this amazing history and that we can join your family through Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.